Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Some folks don't stop till they find the truth. June's Journey is a Roaring Twenties murder mystery hidden object game. Find your first clue by downloading June's Journey today. Available on Android or iOS devices and on PC through Facebook games. Welcome to another edition of the Attacking Scrum podcast. Thank you very much indeed for downloading. No Daniel Killick this week. He's off uh, he's taking a well-earned break, having uh, having put some extra content out there for once, getting getting off his arse and, and doing a fantastic interview with Sean Connor uh, last week for us. Uh, so thanks for all the feedback on that one. And, and a big thanks to Sean for doing it. And likewise, uh, well done to Dan. It was, a, it was a great piece. If you haven't listened to that, make sure you go back and have a listen. Uh, we've got plenty to discuss this week. It's been an amazing weekend uh, for Welsh rugby, including Cardiff Blues picking up the Amlin, Parker Pen, call it what you will, title. So we'll be dissecting that along with lots of other things. Um, and, of course, quick word for our sponsors first up. A big thank you to socoffeetrades.co.uk for supporting this podcast. Stepping into Dan's shoes, good Good friend of the show. Uh, it's Yestin George. How are you doing, Yestin? I'm very well, thanks, Jess. You okay? Yes, I can't complain too much. Uh, as I was just moaning about off air, I'm uh, I'm on the, the tired end of the spectrum. It feels like it's been a long old season, um, and we've had, and we've had lots going on. But at the same time, that was that was an amazing weekend of rugby. Yeah, uh, incredible. I I think uh, obviously I'm uh, I'm from. Uh, it's been a bad week for for people who were born in Singleton Hospital in Swansea, <laughs> generally speaking. Um, and uh, so it's uh, not it's not a massive leap of faith, but it was it was as as exciting um, a finale to the to, to the Cardiff Blues season, and I felt more in tune with that than I have done at I think at any other time in my. Uh, my rugby watching life i really thought it was absolutely splendid (laughs) yeah it was and do you know what i don't know if you had the same feeling but to me it kind of felt like a kind of a victory for the way for the way that that rugby should be played you know you kind of felt in that first half oh they were just getting a bit bullied and it felt a little bit like the the leinster scarlet semi-final and then, uh, you know, for that kind of turnaround in the second half and just to come out and go, yeah, fine, we are going to chuck it around. We're going to run from our own 22. Oh, that felt massively refreshing to me. Absolutely. And I think that uh, it, it felt, you know, it, it, the same feelings, obviously, last year with the Scarlets, which, again, you know, the boy from the other side of the Lachlan Estuary uh, shouldn't necessarily be jumping up and down. But it, it, it felt as good. In in its own way, I think uh, it's as you know, not perhaps n- not as momentous a uh, an end as what a triumphant season the Scarlets had, but um, it felt 
as good on 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 Friday night, I think. Or maybe, but it you know it, because of the nature of the victory, and also because of like, as you say the the fact it was right. We can we'll we're gonna really go for it, and that whole thing about daring and ambition and all the stuff that I suppose the two were slightly more romantically inclined uh, both of us you know and I just felt really special and everybody everybody was outstanding and I just love you know that for Tag Furlong Reed Josh Tuck Josh Turnbull, in his own way, obviously, is a bit of a bit of an act to follow. But yeah. you know, the and possibly the unsung heroes are absolutely brilliant, as well as the people that you um, that you expected to do great things. Yeah, I think so. And actually, I, again, the, the the parallels between the Scarlets are hard to hard to avoid, really. But I think you're, you're quite right there with even with Ollie Robinson picking up the man of the match. You know, guys come on in the sixth minute. For uh, for Navidi, who's picked up, who's picked up a really unfortunate injury. But again, Ollie Robinson this time last year, no one is, none, no one in Wales is screaming, "I need that player to come and play for my uh, to come and play for my region." And you look at the the fantastic job he has done. Um, it's been a really shrewd, uh, to use football terminology, a shrewd bit of business. Well, he went he went back for about seem, seemingly about half an hour, didn't he? Yeah. And then they got him back again. Um, you know, he went back to Bristol and. It just made you, yeah, it's incredible. I mean, there are so many, it, you cannot fail when a team wins, uh, even if it is the Parker Pen, to get excited about the just the playing talent on show uh, and the fact that it does feel, even if, weirdly, if the, if the you know, the, as we look at Welsh rugby so through a slightly different, gaze as a whole but we have to recognize that there are just so many better players than there were this time five years ago mm. such um there's a lot more strength and depth and you know for someone like gareth anscom to it seems like the redemption of gareth <laughs> he hadn't done well, anything I, without I, doing I, anything <laughs> wrong it's not like he's david beckham kicking yeah. you know and diego simeone type of operation but everybody's just held their held their breath a little bit or held themselves back even though he's he's shown um, he's shown bits obviously he's a quality player but he's also shown bits of heart and determination and made impact now and again in you know obviously this the game against England was a was a classic second half example but but what a throw of the dice that was by Danny Wilson right at the end well, you in know, fact to... let's let's go with that yes because we're going to get on to uh, to fact or fiction our regular feature, yeah okay and you've led us perfectly into this one and uh I wanted to start with this. Gareth Anscombe is the best Welsh player in Wales, fact or fiction. Now, before you before you answer this, the context is this is a tweet that Simon Thomas sent out earlier on earlier on today. So I'm presuming he wasn't uh, he wasn't still drunk from Friday night or anything. Um, but it's caused quite a yeah quite a, a reaction uh, on Twitter as these things tend to do. But yeah, let's get let's get your take on that. Anscombe is the best Welsh player in Wales, fact or fiction. That's a that's so brilliant wind up um, kind of material without a doubt. Uh, I there is I, I cannot. It sounds so wrong because it, it felt it felt like he'd uh, he'd won it all himself when he with that kick. Obviously, it wasn't quite that simple. But uh, fiction is my answer. Mm. But it has to be qualified by Gareth Anscombe changed my view of him as a person who could take the game by the scruff of the neck yeah. and transform it at the very highest at the at really when it mattered um under huge pressure and i don't just mean the kick i mean i mean the last 10 12 minutes that he was um he was you know he, that he was thrust into the 10 position and also during the game yeah you know sev- several examples he just took you know, he he was so authoritative throughout the game. You know, I think he was, and you know, caused um, 
cause some real concerns for Gloucester and, and carved them open on a number of occasions. It's interesting that you there kind of, you know, previously used the example of of another sport and David Beckham and Simeone. I'd kind of say it's more akin to me for someone like Stuart Broad in cricket, who you watch, I, I used to watch Broad for a long time and you just thought, this guy's really good, but he doesn't seem to have he doesn't seem to have the public backing in the way that a Jimmy Anderson or a Freddie Flintoff did. You know, mm. he seemed like a hard character to, not so much character, but a hard hard player to watch, to warm to. And, you know, then went on to show what he was capable of and what a match winner he was. I kind of wonder whether Anscom kind of falls into that mould. You know, just one of, those, one of those players that for no real reason, the Welsh public hasn't quite warmed to or hadn't. Do you think it's got uh, as much to do with our sort of innate subconscious that someone like Broad came from, you know, from uh, international cricketing stock? And mm. I remember actually uh, a friend played with him at junior level and he was a batsman. That's right, yeah. You know, and all this kind of stuff. And 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 of Anscombe pre- under pressure with the... I, I'd said it I'd said it to friends earlier this season. I thought... Galasanskin had become an inconvenience because he was getting in the way of a lot of clear decision making on in terms of selection. Or oh, that's what I felt. Um, one game is one game, but I don't know. He just he just seems I don't know. He just seems he's there now, isn't he? Mm. Surely, do you think? Or I, do you yeah, think I it's do. just I, you know, no, getting I, carried I away? I have to say, I, I kind of wondered for a long time. I, I thought kind of going into this season. You know, I, I'd yet to have seen really what the fuss was, and what, was it worth kind of bringing him over and fast tracking him and and all the rest of it. And I think from from Christmas onwards, I think he's been fantastic. He's been fantastic for him. whenever he came back from came back and, and got in the side regularly. I think he's been brilliant. I think he's shown some good glimpses for Wales as well. Uh, you know, obviously there's that unfortunate mispass against Ireland but you know you had to roll the dice in that situation mm. and if it had come off you know it would have been um we might have been having this conversation a few months earlier but yeah I think he's there I think he's proven what a class act he is um I still think there's a debate on what his best position is um, I was going to ask you do you think do you, do you think he is a he has he is a 15 uh yes I think he probably is um okay. I think he's well I think he's more effective in attack from 15. I think he's better bringing him in as that second playmaking option and having yes. uh, and having him in there. And that's that's the role I think for him. You know, I think he showed when he got when he got flattened um, by Ludlow at one point. You know, maybe he's not the best under the high ball when it comes to when it comes to 15 or you know those kind of defensive nuances that that Dan Killick raves about when it comes to Lee Halfpenny. You know, I don't think he had necessarily has those, but I think as an attacking no. ball-playing 15, and that is my favoured kind of way of having a second playmaker in that. I think 15 is the, is the, right, is the right way of doing it. Um, that's, the, that's the one that excites me more. But I think, you know, a word for Jared Evans in there as well. You know, he's, he, always, he always looked to go, and he's pretty fearless for such a young guy. Um, yeah, I, I was really surprised how fearless he was. I didn't. There was there wasn't anybody in that team that looked as if they they were awed or overawed in any way by the occasion or the or the opposition, which is amazing. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. But to to come back to this point, I think this is you know I think Simon Thomas might have who actually to be fair as a journalist, I have a lot of time for. I think he might have been mm. spending uh, too much time with the headline writers at Wales Online who are desperate for clickbaity articles um i think i think that might have been the case on this one i think it kind of lacked the usual balance that uh, that he has i think he's a fine and he's turning into a fine player gareth anskin but I, I i would argue he's not even he's not the best uh, he's not the best welsh player in the in the cardiff blues backs yet alone um yet alone in wales but uh, yeah a, an amazing performance and some serious uh, it, studies to knock that over from 15 as well that the idea what you you know when you think about the the range of players when you think about Patchell or you think about Liam or you think about Lee Halfpenny you think about Anscom um the idea that they can all do different things is quite a headache really um but that that idea of standing in to be the extra you know it's the Owen Williams thing that we wanted at we were looking for it at 12 and Gatland sort of 
lost interest in or, yeah. or, or thought better of. And that, so the idea that a 15 can come in and, and offer a, a, you know, offer a threat so that you've got a 10 and a 15 who are both can offer threats from either side. The, the, the nine is in a, in a great position then to, to attack from either side. And I, so I've, that, been, yeah, I've been raving about this guy for a while, but he's some nine as well. You know, I think this is the exciting thing for the Blues is if you look back to 2010, it was arguably a side that was, you know, at the, at the end of at the end of their kind of their their golden era, if you like. So, you know, you had Nugget and Molotika and these kind of players mm. towards the end of their career. I mean, obviously, Gethin and Felice went on to play for another for another eight years. Um, but. You know, generally, I think it was a, a side that was perhaps towards towards the end of its end of its best years. Um, I think you look at this one now, and it is built around a core of young talent that's kind of come through the ranks. Really, I think those halfbacks are outstanding. I thought Garrett Smith did a fine job on the. You know, he had a few mistakes, sure, but I think he's a really promising player. And then in the forwards, you've got Seb Davis, Ellis Jenkins. As I said on Friday night, is is a superstar. You know, he is. I think I think he will go on to be a world-class flanker. So I think I think this is a really exciting time for the Cardiff Blues. The Ellis Jenkins, I couldn't agree more with you. But but, but I also, when he came back from injury, was just saying, calm down, everyone. You know, yeah. you you can't just um, walk on the pitch and and suddenly you are. You know, everybody rates him so highly, and everybody. You know, he's clearly loved by. People who people don't say, yeah, he's good, isn't he? You yeah. you either you've got you you can only love uh, you know Alex <laughs> Jenkins. You can't just like him. And but now, just again, you think what well, his physique is perfect for what he does so yeah. well. And uh, and he's he his I. I don't know whether the ref mic was up higher than usual. Oh, but he was in his he was, ear all he evening. He was really, he? but really good though. Yeah. It was good chat, you know. It was really smart chat, and you could tell, you know, the Gloucester were, as they showed us immediately afterwards, were, were seething at, at points when I'm sure the referee didn't help them with the with the refereeing decisions, and they had. Much as you know, much as they were, they were quite right to to, um, to you know the the some of the decision making was awry. They it was the the fact is they might have been architects of their own downfall to a certain extent because their chat was seemingly very um, English, shall we say? <laughs> well, let's let's move on to a, a contentious point of our own actually, and this one's been suggested to us. Uh, by Matt Armstrong, who's getting a long-term, uh, long-term listener of the show, and he's asked us to debate this one. Cardiff Blues now has better European pedigree than the Scarlets. So, fact again, facts or fiction? Uh, I mean, for the for the point, I think this one's contentious enough. But just to just to be clear on the rules of engagement, let's treat this as the uh, the regional incarnations of these teams. So post 2003. Um, and so we're talking about Cardiff Blues and the Scarlets, because, I mean, what we're looking at here really is, a, you know, a Scarlet side across those across a number of years who've who've reached semi-finals and look like they're capable of going right to the wire. But then you've got the Blues, who admittedly not at, at as high a level, have picked up two European trophies, which no other Welsh side has managed to do. So what are we saying with this one? Yes, in fact or fiction? I will. I'll support the fact um, with, you know, uh, not even with the proviso, because I think that it's true, and it just feels uh, I I've grown up around uh, people who were very closely uh, affiliated with you know with Cardiff rugby clubs throughout their lives, and people have written books about Gwyn Nichols and things like that. It's very old school, you know the um and it's kind of it's a venerable club and it's it remains really a, a kind of it feels like the, a venerable region you know it 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 just feels like the the there is some of that authority that and i don't know it's it, a capital city obviously that makes a big deal of it as well but as a as a as an entity 
Cardiff Blues, it feels like they they belong in that company. And I don't know whether that's just me being a a a a, a West Whaley, you know West Whalian who's who's doffing his cap in a servile manner to his uh, to to the big city. But maybe that's what it is. But it just it feels like they they always belonged as they needed to belong you know in that kind of big company and it feels like they're more cap- more capable perhaps of of living in that company as well um you know as a as a as a as a region not just as a, a rugby team yeah does that make any sense at it all? does it does <laughs> make know. sense i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna put it on the uh on the on the other the, I guess the, the other the counter argument to this one, and again my qualifications as being a, an, an English sounding man with East Wales heritage, um, <laughs> but I'm actually going to I'm going to stick up for the for the Scarlets on this one. As I thought it was fantastic as Cardiff Blues have been this time round as brilliant as they were in um, in 2010 as well. And yeah, I think I think you shouldn't underestimate because silverware is silverware at the end of the day. You know, it's it's amazing to go on great runs, but. I just think that as much as I like the Parker Pen or whatever it is now, it's it is the inferior tournament. I think you you, know, you have to judge on the very top level of of European quality to um, to really decide who's got the ultimate pedigree. I'm going to use another mixed sporting metaphor. This seems to be the theme for tonight. But I think if you know if you were to look at horse racing, it's kind of like you know a, a horse who's who's shown amazing. Cheltenham form, you know, and has finished second and third in in big festival meets versus a horse who's who's won, you know, some, you know, a a, a good a good novice handicap, if that makes sense. You know, I think you've got to you've got to judge the form against um against the you know the ultimate the 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 real kind of top level, and I think the Scarlets really have been that. You know, I know the the Blues had that that amazing run in two thousand and nine, but really the Scarlets have been the the standard bearers um, in in Europe, you know, I think the Ospreys who kind of really underperformed versus the the squad that they had, and you know, and obviously we've we've had ex Ospreys on this show, Kai Griffiths and Adam Jones, saying exactly that same thing, and they felt the same in in the dressing room. I think the Scarlets have been that that one region who've who've shown that on their day they can go toe to toe with the with the absolute best. Um, and unfortunately, they haven't been able to get past the past the semi-final in any of those occasions. And I do, I just do think that you know that there is that difference because in the Parker Pen, invariably there are a few teams, you know, most of the time French, who kind of decide they can't be asked with it for a season and and kind of duck out. And I think you just don't get that in the Heineken Cup. You know, you you just you have to go, you have to go into into some dark places in the pool stages to even get out of there. So. Um, not to put any down on the Cardiff Blues achievement, but I, I do think that if you had to say you had the stronger European pedigree, I'd have to say the Scarlets. Well, that's well argued. And also, if you had to argue through, say, your wallet, um, mm. if you had to shell out money, to, who would you go and see every Friday? If you, if you, if you had, you know, if if you uh, had to make a choice between the two, who would you go and see? What, are we talking just about the current crop, or is this in the? No, know, yeah, the, I, I am yeah. talking. Okay. Yeah, I'm talking about recent times. You surely you would go yeah, to the Scarlets, wouldn't you? I think you'd have to. Um, yeah, I think you'd have to because again, even when they weren't reaching European semis, they were playing some amazing rugby. Again, I think back to that kind of 2010-2011 period when they were chucking the ball around. There was that amazing try against yeah. Perpignan and stuff, and you just think that is that's the kind of rugby that I want to see. Whereas you know. The Blues, when they were at low points, you know, I think particularly under Mark Hammett and stuff, was was really kind of wasn't easy on the eye. But no, for you know, for all of that, I think looking, you know, I really hope that that Mulverhill, when he comes in, he's a coach I know little to nothing about. But Danny Wilson and Mark Show have left them a really good crop of players with a really good rugby philosophy, and I just hope they're able to to kick on and play like this when we go into next season. I couldn't agree more. Also, if you had to pick a, I think now is not the time, but imagine having to pick a super team out of those two or a, a super, you know, a, a, a full line, line-up from Scarlets and, mm-hmm. and uh, Blues and how you would go around picking that. 
it would be it would be pretty impressive, wouldn't it? It would, and I tell you what, any of those back rows from either of those sides, from either of Cardiff Blues twenty three or the uh, or the Scarlets twenty three, anyone who plays in the back row would still get in England starting fifteen. I'm gonna put that one out there right now. I rem- I, I, I'm still I'm still wincing after your claim last week. I think it was a week before that set the first seven. <laughs> <laughs> seven, the first seven open sides, which I was like trying to count them. I think and you look, were saying they were getting yeah. to the England team. I think, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm being slightly disingenuous because I think Sam Underhill <laughs> is Sam Underhill's the real deal. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, so I don't know. I just think it's you know when you look you look back over the last few years and Eddie Jones having a pop at having a pop at Robshaw during the World Cup and then you know and then picking him consistently at seven yeah. or Haskell. You know, I, I think there's look. There's lots. I think I think Cubby would get in there. Tipperick, Warburton when he's fit, Ellis Jenkins, Ollie Griffiths. You know that these these players are are all um are, are all class acts. I think yeah, seven or eight. I might have been I might have been uh, exaggerating somewhat, <laughs> but it's a testament to the strength in depth. That's our that's your prerogative. My <laughs> podcast, my my exaggeration. My, yeah, exactly. And uh, and invariably that's the that's the way it goes. Right, <laughs> we have got a, a couple more on fact or fiction. Okay. And uh, right, we're gonna we're gonna bring it over over to your neck of the woods, then, Yestin, and uh, let's talk about the Ospreys for a moment. Rather big game they've got coming up, uh, especially when we look at when we look at what it's going to mean for Europe. So uh, I'm going to put this one out and then say Ospreys will qualify for Europe. Fact or fiction? Mm, radio silence. Um, I I thought they played really well the last game. Um, it was, you know, it was the, it was mentioned four to six times in the first half that it was the best sort of nil all or whatever. Then, yeah. uh, but and it was a, a really good game. Um, I got, I just had that feeling that it was um, Osprey's opportunity to turn them over, and I'm not sure they'll get that twice in a row. So yeah, I would say right. fact, I would say fiction, fiction because they can. Although the, obviously the Ulster are in some sort of inner turmoil at the moment for a variety of reasons on and off the pitch, and I, uh, there's a possi- obviously there's more than a, a possibility that they won't finish the season with a bang. Um, there are good reasons why they wouldn't, uh, but I, I just I just uh, I'm hoping against hope that that um because they, they definitely had the opportunity to uh to, to beat them last time round. Is the form encouraging for the Ospreys? I think particularly kind of since Alan Clark's been installed, it has looked um you know, there's been much more much more signs of encouragement, I think. And um yeah, like you say, there was that game, that a weird judgment day game against against the Cardiff Blues. But it does look as though the Ospreys are kind of starting to to show signs of their their old self really. Yeah, I, I, I still, I'm still slightly down in the dumps. If I'm true, if I'm really honest, um, not, not because I, I do, I agree. There's nothing I would disagree with what you said. Um, I just think that you are needing fairly, fairly average players like Dirksen and people like that to, to to not make any mistakes mm. and you need players to be like Alan Wynn to be 100% on it which he seems to miraculously appear to be able to do um, they need to get the balance right in the back row which they haven't always done um, and I think Sam Cross has done really well um, I, I think fair play to him, he, maybe mm. he's your seventh seven perhaps <laughs> Good um, and uh, uh, you know they're struggling at nine, I think, and uh, that's going to have to. That's not going to be. That's not going to be easy. Um, uh, you know, in the, again, I I I just think the big time players, the big players, have to really take take the take the team along with them. Uh, and I don't think that you could say that there are any other that compared to to uh, the Blues or the Scarlets, that's not how it works. It, but it is still how it works at, at the Ospreys: is that the big, big players have to 
take everybody else with them because they're not quite in the same league. Looking forward to next season, though, there is the added bonus that you'll have a uh, an injection of fresh coaching in in terms of Matt Sherritt. And again, having seen what what those Blues backs have been able to do, you know, dare you dare you dream that this could be the uh, the dream ticket next season of you know of that traditional mean Ospreys pack with with some real kind of flair behind the uh, behind the scrum as well. Well, it's, it's certainly it's not. It, it would appear to be better, and then you see someone like Kieran Fonatier probably playing his best ever season of rugby for the yeah. Scarlets, and then you just uh, I, you could probably gather that I'm a bit of a glass half empty merchant. Um, <laughs> you know, I there've been several instances where I just hope they make. I, I, I'll be really honest. I hope that they they make the most of the playing talent around because there are some, there've been some great contributions, mm. notably our, uh, the podcast sponsor himself has had a brilliant phase of um, games. You know, and you yes. want to see Scott Otten has been, you know, has been brilliant. And there have been several other examples of players who've, who've played out their skin and you never, you know, People like James, players like James King are the lifeblood of the yeah. region, um, and they're never gonna. He is so wholly t- committed to the cause. It's it's always great to see. Uh, definitely, there are back. You know, as we, I'll join you with the Dan Evans. You know, it's a, it is a shame he's not in the Welsh squad mm-hmm. and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, and and it he. It just keeps on running those lines like nobody else in <laughs> Wales runs. You know, uh, it's phenomenal. It's like the ghost of Lee Byrne or something. Uh, it, he's just phenomenal. But um, they've got to play together and they've got to have more than one. I wonder whether they need two two nines to come in. You know, not just Alid, but they'll need somebody else in as well. Yeah, or you're uh, or you're relying on a, a step up from one of the one of the young talents. So yeah. be that. Uh, I mean, they've got Aubrey two. And, and, nobody, and Ruben, yeah. Ruben Morgan. Ruben Williams. Williams. Yeah, Ruben Williams. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Who again? I think have both Morgan, obviously got yeah. talent, but then it's a it's a big it's a big step up to kind of bridge that gap into into playing regular regular regional rugby. Yeah, I did, I just I cautiously, very 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 cautiously optimistic <laughs> but but, but um, it, it's there is some stability and that's really all you could hope for at this stage and uh, but whether it's I, I think it's just a shot in the thin against Ulster and if it doesn't work it doesn't work it's fine you know just got to take that on the chin Okay then, right. One more, one more to go on the fact or fiction, and then we're going to have a roundup of Welsh news uh, in any other business, which is the last part of the show. Uh, so this is the last fact or fiction for you, Justin. Sean Edwards taking the Harlequins job would be a bigger blow to Wales than losing head coach Warren Gatland. Wow, that's tricky. Can I look? What, what do you think, Jared? Because I've had to answer them first, everyone. <laughs> the old one, I, too. Um, yeah. Um, I, look, I, I mean, actually, I, I, I've, I've said this before. You know, I'm kind of. Um, I, I, I think Warren Gatland is a is a very, very strong head coach. I think he's, you know, he's shown. I think in particular this weekend, where there's been a, a huge amount of um, a huge amount of praise for for Stuart Lancaster, and quite rightly. Um, for what he's done as a coach at Leinster, I think you know you you need only look back to the World Cup to see what his shortcomings were as a head coach, and I think that's the thing is they are very very different roles, especially at the highest level. And I think generally Gatland, you know, he he has this habit of getting sides ready for the big tournament, and he can make those big those big head coach selections, and I think that's what really. Um, that's what really makes a difference. That said, Sean Edwards, you know, he has done so much. You know, you, you look back at Wales in the 90s and we were regularly shipping 50, 60 points to 
to the likes of England and France, let alone New Zealand and stuff. And no one, no one has stuffed us for the last 10 years, really. There's been the odd game. Um, and then you look at what he's done at, at Cardiff Blues as well. So, I mean, it's, re- it's really difficult. I, th- I think that I'd have to say fiction purely because with a head coach comes, a, comes that, that stability and everything else. But um, it's, uh, it would be some massive blow, I think, if he were to go. Well, there are other coaches that you wouldn't you you wouldn't you wouldn't have that sort of uh, you wouldn't have spent that much time explaining, would you? Agreed. Uh, <laughs> and I I've I've really I love Sean Edwards. I really like him, um, but I've interviewed him a couple of times, and um, he is he was amazing. Mm-hmm. He was one of the best interviews I've done for years, and that was mainly because I phoned him up on the. Um, when he was at Wasps, and he was, it was their open day, and so there were hundreds of players running around, and blah blah blah. And he did a phone interview with me about his relationship with his father, yeah. which obviously had, was just a, a total boat from the blue. He's on a mobile phone, standing in the middle of a rugby pitch, talking about his father's, uh, you know, uh, being uh, losing his career and having to spend his life in his, in a wheelchair mm-hmm. and and how faith and all these things came to play and it just struck me as an incredibly honest man really uh, he I, I but most importantly you're absolutely right he's made Wales he's made Wales harder to beat I yeah. think um, and those kind of qualities I think it seems to me that. With a general sort of air of um, when people talk about Sean Edwards or former professionals do, they do so with a with an almost he's a bit mad that bloke, mm. um, and not in a scary authoritative way, um, but in a you know they they respect him, but yeah. they also I don't think they see him as a as a leader. Do you think that's interesting? Necessarily, I don't know. There's something there that. You know, there's no question that Gatland strikes fear into the heart mm. of those who who are employed by him or, uh, or he picks, and I think that's a necessary thing. But maybe less so on a maybe less so on a week by week basis. I don't know, but he he would be a big miss for Wales, and I. It's one of those, you know, be he would not be replaced very easily would he and I also think there's a kind of cultural affinity and uh, something about him that um, that you know makes him um, makes him one of us really uh, and that, that again you, you can employ people from all over the world to go and do that do that job but you'd like to see I don't know whether someone like Byron Hayward or I think I think we'd love to see Byron Hayward get that job. You know, obviously Scarlet's fans I'm sure would disagree, but he's the, again mm, I, yeah. I think when you talk about character and again I think Byron's a Byron himself is actually quite a, a religious guy as well, isn't he? And um I think but again a, a very tough character and very yeah. you know, very headstrong and you know, he was, he, was a, uh, he had boxing and things like that as well. And I think it's funny, actually, that that you know, if you were to look at anyone in Wales, you would probably say he would be the heir apparent to to that role. And um, and while you know he's not necessarily the same character in terms of the you know that 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 thousand yard stare that that Sean Edwards would give you, I think there are definitely some some similarities there in terms of mindset. And um, I don't know, it would be I would love to to one day see Byron get that job. Yeah, and that's it's the succession element, isn't it? Rather than Sean, Sean Edwards deciding to walk away finally, and then somebody then rushing around looking for a replacement. You'd, you'd, you'd obviously the the not for the Scarlet fans, but the the holy grail would be to get three the three coaches from the Scarlets to 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 start moulding their backsides in the in the nice comfy chairs at the WRU, you know, over a period of time and then slowly take it over. But, I you know, that's not going to happen, is it? So um, you know the it's one not going to happen in that. Those Scarlet's coaches, who I think I'm least sure on, is possibly Wayne Pivak. I, yeah. I, think, he's, I think he's a wonderful coach. I really do. But 
I just wonder whether it might be like when Gareth Jenkins took that role, you know, and and he was maybe just a little bit light on experience outside mm. of his, his kind of comfort zone. I mean, Gareth Jenkins had pretty much done all of his coaching in, in West Wales. And obviously Pivak has, has, has come as a pretty much, you know, as a, a relatively low-profile coach over to the Scarlets and done a wonderful job. I just wonder whether that next step up to that massive glare of being the Welsh head coach the spotlight that comes with it, the expectation, the glare of the whole of the British media comes Six Nations and World Cup time, you know, whether he might be best served. And again, Scarlet fans would, would, would be hugely angry at this statement, I'm sure, but whether he would be better served doing a job at, a, at a, you know, an English giant or a French giant before taking on an international role. That's modern. That's not, I, I, but I agree. It's a, Perfectly reasonable point. It's just I hadn't even thought of that. Mm. Um, I suppose you just get carried away, don't you, with um, this idea of playing the most magical rugby and you know get get everybody involved in. Yeah. You know, it's, and it so often doesn't translate. Everybody points to 2008 and the Ospreys, blah blah blah. But that 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 they tried that as many times if. I reckon three or four times that times when when we were neath we were mm. rubbish you know when we we were really bad in fact we just we actually started fights among ourselves in post match dinners that's how rubbish we were um, but I don't know I don't, it's it, that sounds really interesting and you might be right um, yeah I, I, um, I don't know I mean it's that's that's the tricky thing is again the 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 roman the romantic part of me that that tends to lead my rugby decisions. Um, that you know that would have a back line full of Patchels and Anscombs and Matthew Morgans um, would lead you to go you yeah go on Pivak and get Pivak. well you were proved right again with the substitution <laughs> on Friday yet again do you know what yet every again, time yeah. every time every time he gets the ball I just I just want him to I just will him to do well um, because you know there there will always be people like, people will always be split again he's one of those players. You either love Matthew Morgan or you think he's hopeless. I don't think anyone really falls in between and says, oh, you know. I, I think it's, it's very hard to have a balanced opinion of him and go, he offers great things in attack, but he defends like a child. It's a very, it's a very hard thing to... It's a hard thing to do, but the reality is, I just love watching him play. I just, I don't. I, and just to just to continue the consistent uh, weekly mention of Matthew Morgan, is there, um, is there a re- my mate John, who I watch rugby with in the Hove, um, says that uh, why has he never really been properly given a run at, on the wing? Mm. Is there? Is it just because he's he tackles like a child, which is a beautiful uh, description there, Jed. Um, is that it? Do you think? Is, well, mean, I think he's, it's just he's quick He played. He played. He played so much of his rugby at ten, didn't he? Before this conversion to fullback, that I don't know. I just don't know whether anyone's anyone's oh. even thought of it. But yeah, I, I mean, you'd guess it's defensive. You know, he's even more defensively exposed there than than he would be at than he would be at fullback. Um, at least he's got a touchline helping him. You know, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Um, uh, yeah. I don't know. I, you know, I would. It, it, I don't know. For me, he's just. He's always going to be one of those. But I think if he was a player who played in the the seventies and eighties, um, you know, and I know, admittedly, obviously, defenses weren't as good then anyway. But I think he, he's without because you see him play every week, and you know, every error is magnified on social media and gifs and vines of him. You know, kind of getting run over and stuff. It's. <laughs> It's you know I, I think that just that kind of exposes it more you, you know I'll I'll never look at a team sheet that Matthew Morgan's in and think oh no you can't oh no just don't pick him don't pick him I just want to see him play every time. Do you think it's like Cambridge Analytica had somebody actually churning out all those gifts just to just at these you know just uh, that England in fact the yeah. RFU were doing it just because they knew that he would be a uh, world beater. Te- you knew he would tear their tear their backline apart exactly yeah. Trump, yeah. Brexit, Russian intervention. This is it. It's the Matthew it Morgan pales. conspiracy. The Matthew Morgan conspiracy. I think it all pales into insignificance when you you look at the injustice that he's been uh, he's been served. But you know what? Like, the thing is, I, I know that he wouldn't he wouldn't be getting anywhere near a side like that if he didn't have that that talent. And um, 
you know, I know that other sides, you know, no side is going to look up and think, you know, 15 minutes to go, oh, oh good, they brought Matthew Morgan on, that's going to, that's going to help the game. If you're, if you're knackered, you know, if you've, if you've played your heart out for 65 minutes, you're not going to fancy it when he, when he comes off the bench. So, I don't no. know. Nothing will change my, nothing will change my mind on that one. Look forward to next week's episode exactly. of, the, of the Matthew Morgan podcast. Right, <laughs> let's uh, let's let's move on then to uh, to any other business because it has been a busy week um, on that front as well. Actually, so obviously we had the Wales the Wales squad announcement, which Dan and I seemed to talk about for two hours last week, having uh, <laughs> having gone around there early to try and get a podcast done and maybe catch a pint at the end of the day. We even missed closing times. We were talking for so long. Um, the big talking point seems to have been really. Um, this kind of co-captaincy thing of, of Jenkins and, and Corey Hill. Um, who's who's going to wear the armband when it comes when it comes around to uh, when it comes around to those test matches? I think Ellis Jenkins. After after Friday, yeah. I, if I wanted anybody talking talking to, to the referee, that 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 he'd be uh, he'd be right there, wouldn't he? He's oh, I think so. Got to be when both of them are in the team, without a doubt. I think as well, he, he falls into that kind of almost born leader type thing. You know, I think he's captained virtually every side he's, every side he's played in. You know, he's been earmarked from an early age as, as being someone who's, who's got that, those, kind of, those kind of leadership skills. Um, and I think he's, he's showing it now at, at a pretty high level. So he'd be my captain as well. Um, a lot he's of also got, the, he's got that Martin Corry um, bridge of the nose thing going has, on as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. That's that's is that that's just cutting up every time, isn't it? Mm. It is, yeah. And I, I like the way that he uh, he's always got he's always got the tape around his head as well, which again I think it just adds to a bit of uh, adds to a bit of old school um, old school flanker yeah. in there. Um, a lot of chat about George North playing centre. Um, a, do you think we can expect to see this? B, would it be would it be your choice? Uh, I think it's it's okay to talk about it when, but I think it's it's good to it's good that it's not a last ditch conversation mm. for the first time in a while. Uh, it's not uh, everybody else is um, lying in a lying in the physio room, so therefore we've got to turn to George. So I, I quite like the idea of it being a positive step rather than one out of desperate one out that comes from desperation. Um, I just think don't you think that there are candidates that are still you know Watkin uh, could do you know and Scott Williams could play for the team quite comfortably yeah. couldn't they um, and you you just think Hadley Parks is always going to be 12 for for the foreseeable anyway yeah uh, I, I would like but to I, I give him a, go. a bit more game time really I think he's just um, he seems to have that real touch of class and he's got um, almost like a a deceptive turn of pace. He's got that wonderful step on him. Um, I don't know. You know, I suppose if if there is a time to give George North a run at centre, this is it, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and you know, let's kind of find out once and for all. And you know, these these kind of positional changes can can pay off. So uh, yeah, that's what we'll we'll find out I'd soon lo- enough. I'd love to see him. I'd love to. I'd love the idea of him not being uh, keep him out of the weights room and and. And give him, you know, make him lean and mean, you know, rather rather than incredibly. He seems to be. Uh, is it just an imag- imaginary thing, you know? The, the, but do you think he's actually lost weight, or is it just that he's just looks a bit sharper? I do, yeah, I don't know to be honest. I really don't. I, I've always maintained as well that for all of his physical strength and his, you know, his physical attributes, I think his best quality was he was such a balanced runner that when yeah. we saw him get up to full tilt it was there was a, a kind of real grace about him as well you know when he was mm-hmm. running into open field it was just this wonderful acceleration that just seemed to get quicker and quicker and um i'd just like to see a bit more of that really i'd like to see george not always looking for contact and looking to go around people because he always had that pace and he's still only what 25 26 and um, yeah. so i'd like to see a bit more of that from george and i don't know maybe center might might enable him to do that. Um, but look, I know. just keep him. I just keep him out of the gym. If it, that's yeah. that's what I'd be doing straight away for that. And thinking, again, we we are we have a set of players who are who look like their natural size. You know, uh, the I there are several 
players, even Seb Davis, who obviously is a very, very large man. Mm. Um, he doesn't look freakishly no. uh, out of out of, and, and his ability to run and handle the ball is I, as a result of that. I tell you where he would have looked freakishly big is when he was playing ten, which I believe he used to. I mean, he must have been very young when he was doing that because he he is. He's a big guy, you know. Like he would be a monstrous ten. Um, How good was that kick to touch? Was though? Amazing, though, that was brilliant. <laughs> that was the best ever kick, right? And I saw Alan Martin kicking for Wales in the yeah. in the seventies, and that was a. It was. It wasn't some. It wasn't anything like as poetic. It yeah. was almost like ball go over there now, and the ball would just do what it's told. You know, so that was. <laughs> Delicate man, that was beautiful. It was. I think he's going to fall into one of those brackets of a, a Welsh forward who you don't mind seeing the occasional kick from, and there's not many of them. But yeah, I would say in my lifetime, it's been him. Uh, it, yeah, it'd be him, Justin Tipperick, the occasional Nugget Martin Williams good, one. Yeah, yeah. and, uh, and Geffen. Yeah. Geffen, yes. I mean that try against uh, Namibia <laughs> will live long in the memory. And yeah. it's not often you can say that about tries against Namibia. But then Emir Lewis as well, I think, for yeah. his, uh, um, for yeah, that that hack through against uh, against England, which is my earliest fond rugby memory. Um, well, we, at least we brought the dink back, yeah, yeah. or the Blues did in massive. I mean, they 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 almost fielded every little dink that came came their way, didn't they? Did. It was yeah. miraculous. And uh, I suppose yeah, let's. Um, Wanted to get your opinion on, uh, on I suppose the, the sad news of this week as well, which is the the passing of, of Gareth Williams, legendary Bridgend player, um, featured on the the 1980 Lions tour, Welsh Cup winner with Bridgend as well. Uh, very sad that uh, that we lost him at the age of, of 63. Obviously a player I never 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 got to see, play yesterday, but someone I think you you're pretty familiar with watching. Yeah, I think it was probably my core time really um home and away st helens you know with swansea rugby mm. club uh and he was very much of that uh the era when flankers started and number eights started obviously there were rare examples um of great ball playing back row forwards but he he was a physical specimen he was very square and big and tall but he also had a, a kind of he wasn't just a grunt you know he had, he was uh he he played with his head up which was something that was quite rare uh and and I must have seen him play 20 times for Bridgend and at least and certainly against Swansea when it came to the big games Bridgend often were you know they tended to do us um so he he was a really good player and, and and also just felt like it was an era where people players like Mark Davis and Gareth Roberts and um you know Eddie Butler at Pontypool and various players just seemed to kind of carry themselves quite uh, I wouldn't say Richard Moriarty was quite a, <laughs> quite a signified uh, he was a little bit more uh, yeah more barbaric shall we say but, but Gareth Williams always felt like a a, a, a kind of uh, an intelligent player yeah. basically and and there there were there hadn't been a lot of room in the back row or let alone anywhere in the forwards really for um for a player that would describe himself as intelligent uh, and so yeah he was a really he was um He's just always there, you know. Uh, he's, I remember him sort of prematurely greying, and uh, but still having just a real physical presence in the back row. You know, clearly a couple of inches taller usually than than most of the other people in there. Um, so he was, yeah, he was part of a really strong Bridgend team and a, a you know a club that was right there. Uh, people perhaps looking not with my lengthy memory might not think of Bridgend as an important rugby club but it was a it was certainly was and it seems that in the you know in the wake of the Ospreys region 
it doesn't seem to be quite the, as celebrated as it as it mm. was in, in the late 1970s and the early 80s particularly. And I think as well from pretty much anyone who's made a comment um, about it this weekend, a man who just epitomised that club, you know, I think uh, it seems to be synonymous with with the Bridge End Club. So obviously a um, a very a very sad time for for the club and for um, and for his family, and obviously all our all our thoughts are, are with them at, at this time. Um, so then, just to just to finish, just in the, the last bit of uh, last bit of news for for this week, and it's a slightly bittersweet one for Josh Navidi, who picked up the uh, the Player of the Year award. I think it's the Welsh Writers Player of the Year award, and um, obviously going off going off injured uh, it was a real kind of tough tough thing to to watch, really, because I think he's just he's put his body on the line so many times this year. My heart really kind of uh, really kind of went out went out to him, but. Just how good a season has uh, has Josh Navidi had? Oh, it's incredible. And nobody, there's not anybody who could have predicted his rise through the ranks. Is is either had the ability to look into the future, or was just get you know, or, or was related to him basically. Um, incredible. Uh, always such a stalwart anyway, and hugely admired. But just the um, just the engine and the ability to never stop going, you know, it, it just never looked like he was the sort of player that would ever need to come off the pitch, uh, you know, unless he was badly injured. And it, I was quite refreshing in a way that um, Danny Wilson s- sort of just said instead of saying, "Oh, we'll have, we'll he'll have a scan on Monday and we'll see the extent of the injury," mm. it sounds like it's it sounded. Uh, it, obviously, by the time this, the pod goes out, we'd probably know, but it just sounded that it was a dislocation that might pop back in, or it wasn't a full dislocation. And so perhaps not as um, perhaps not as serious. I don't know. Fingers crossed. And yeah, but he's been yeah. amazing. I mean, I like. I think either way, if there's any, if there's any kind of risk, I would, I would have been tempted. I think, like we said in our marathon pod last week, I would have been tempted to to not take Navidi. Purely because I think he's just played so much rugby this season that he could probably mm. use, you know, he's almost put in the the same shift that the that the Lions players have. He's just been there every, virtually every single game for for Cardiff Blues, and then and then you know has has become a, a regular starter for Wales as well. So, um, you know, I'd be I'd have been tempted to to look at giving him a rest anyway, but hopefully uh, hopefully it's not um it's not. Too I've also, yeah, I I remember him playing in the twenties and and he was. You know, he had, uh, he just looked like he had the legs of a of a person who was about six years older than him. <laughs> he just always looked like he, a bit of a unit, you know, uh, around the hips and the the thigh area. The other thing was, I've also got, um, I teach at University of Brighton, and I've got a student who's the closest thing to a dead ringer to him, right down to the dreadlocks. He's an Italian student. I'll take a picture of him and I'll and I'll uh, you can post it. I will. Just, but it genuinely is a Navidi alike. Um, it's just a, obviously a a, uh, a niche sort of uh, look-alike yeah. uh, uh, area. But it's quite. Um, it's, it's. I've stopped myself from saying it in the le- in lectures about three times now because I just know that everybody will go. What's he on about? Yeah, but um, maybe I'll maybe I'll pluck out a picture of jo- Josh um, and have it on a big in a big lecture theatre, <clears throat> and that'll be yeah. So I'll send you a picture of him. I think that's I think that's worth doing. Um, but yeah, anyway, we won't we won't have to wait uh, too long. In fact, one final thing that I've completely forgotten as well is we've got one massive game to look forward to next week, and this is uh, and this is the the Scarlet semi final. Away at Glasgow, obviously we covered this uh, last week on the pod as well. Um, is this going to be one game too far in a very tough season for the Scarlets? Or do you think, like Dan Killick does, that they're just too good a team and they'll make it through to their second final in a, in as many years? Controversially, I don't feel like they've just quite ever clicked in the way, in the glorious way that they clicked last season. That's my opinion of the mm. Scarlets. Um, but... That that's the time. That's the time to do it at Glasgow, and I think they I think they will win. 
I definitely think they're going to win. Um, you know, somebody who is <laughs> a glass half empty person is convinced that they are going to win. I think there we go. Be, that, that's definite. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. Hopefully, uh, hopefully that will be the uh, that will be the case. And you know, haven't got haven't got too long to to wait to find out. Uh, plenty more coming up on the attacking scrum over the next few weeks as well. So obviously we'll be covering uh, the the tail end of the the Pro 14s. We get into the business uh, the business end of the season, and uh, then we've also got the the Wales tour to cover too. And over the summer we're hoping to bring you some more specials. All those all the feedback we've had on that has been has been fantastic. It does make it all worthwhile. Uh, but hopefully we can have some more amazing guests lined up. Uh, for you and if you've enjoyed those specials please leave us a, a review on itunes it helps us out massively and uh, yeah let us know what you think if we've uh, if we've been chatting nonsense tonight or you've agreed with anything let us know at attacking scrum on twitter uh, make sure you like the page on facebook and you can join our um our group as well which is simply called wales rugby fans but as you can imagine there's been loads of chat on there this weekend uh, with it being such a such an awesome weekend for welsh rugby yes then thanks for joining us and thank you for listening we'll be back very very soon thanks chad Podcast Network.